Hey, everybody. Welcome. Welcome to the show, Endurance Innovation. I am not your host. I am your guest, Dianor, and your host is Michael, <laughs> but I like to do the intros. Michael, good to see you. How's everything? Dia, thank you so much. And I uh, I fully appreciate the fact that you're willing to, uh, willing to do the introduction again. And listeners, if you remember our first chat with Dia, oh man, way back in, I, I probably was 2019. It was one of our earlier episodes. Uh, where Dia did this completely unprompted. He just kind of, you know, we turned on the mic and, and he did the introduction just because. So this time I asked him to reprise his, uh, his performance of introducing Endurance Innovation. Hi, everyone. I'm Andrew. And I'm Michael. And this is the Endurance Innovation Podcast. So Dia, thank you for the introduction. Uh, welcome back to the show. Thanks for taking the time to join us. Of course, of course. Thank you for having me and allowing me to do the intro. I love it. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I cannot believe it's been three years since we spoke. That's that's crazy. That shows you what COVID, right? The COVID years. <laughs> totally. It's it's been it's been a complete you know time warp. I it, it's so hard to keep track of time. Uh, you know, at least now it feels like we're look we're recording beginning of June, twenty twenty two, and it feels like at least in Canada things are getting back to normal a little bit. Our races are starting up again. Folks are you know training together and and, and being a little bit in closer proximity. But yeah, it's been a it's been a wild three years. It really has. It really has. And. I mean, who would have thought the industry would go the way it did, right? I mean, yeah. <laughs> we had, uh, you know, great uncertainty, right? In like March 2020, like what's going to happen? Uh, you know, is the world going to end? And people started kind of cutting back POs and worried about what's going to happen in the cycling industry because that's not, you know, it's not an essential. I mean, it is, if you ask me, it is essential, but food is probably more important. So like, you know, you watch where you spend your dollars, and uh, and then it went the other way around, right? It went mm -hmm. the other way around, and the bike boom was crazy. Now I'll say it was maybe a little bit crazier on more entry level bikes than what Ventum offers, right? Because we are pretty performance oriented, um, and so our price points are, are reflect that. Uh, but yeah, the demand just scooped up all existing inventories, and then the shutdowns in all the factories everywhere created this massive, massive backlog. And here we are still trying to get ourselves out of it, right? I mean, mm -hmm. it's it's unbelievable. Yeah, and this is exactly why I wanted to have you on the show because um, you know uh, my my kind of lived experience right now is I uh, I'm I, I basically I have no bikes currently because I've uh, I've sold some bikes that weren't right for me and I and I bought a I bought a frame that I'm trying to build up and it's been it's been uh, a nightmare trying to get parts and I'm sure everyone listening to the show has had you know who, who's had to buy a bike or wanted to buy a bike in the last couple of years has has experienced this so what i really wanted you on the show for was to give us a um you know the perspective of somebody who is who you know runs a, a bike outfit to tell us about some of the challenges that you've had and then maybe as we move forward move through the conversation you can talk about where you know you see it going and what the timelines look like yeah i mean it, it it's been it's been incredibly difficult. Um, you know, I, I, I'm trying my best to stop complaining and just start <laughs> accepting like this is like the new normal yeah. because everybody, every time somebody asks me about like how it's going, you know, I'm always like terrible. It's the worst it's ever been. And then you see me a month later, I'm like, it's the worst it's ever been. And I'm like, all right, you know what? This is a new normal um, and you just need to accept it. 
Um, and I'm going to kind of take you through the whole pandemic, if you will. We started talking about it, and you know, we talked about obviously the bike boom and the the, the supply chain constraints, which are, we're still facing today. Mm-hmm. We're facing them in a little bit of a different way today than we did, um, I would say, a year ago. Um, but but before I even get into that, yeah, it's just the last couple of years has been by far and away the hardest period of my life, business-wise. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has become increasingly more difficult to do just normal tasks, right? And and things that you don't even think about, like you know, paper paper cost doubles, and all of a sudden your box that you box, you know, your bikes in is no longer available or the ink that they use, like just things that you really would never think of. And, and so in addition to just the supply constraints of actual bike components and wheels and frames, you know, you had it across everywhere, right? Uh, across every industry that does impact the cycling industry. Sure. You have that going on. Um, you know, as of late, I'm sure you're facing it in Canada like we are. We, for the first time ever yesterday, the United States hit an average gallon price of five, over five dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. You know, so so you know, if you think that again, that affects everything, right? It doesn't just affect your your delivery of the bike because it's fuel charged. It affects all everything inbound that's coming in to build the bike. It affects your labor pool, right? Um, in fact, we've had some people recently leave because they couldn't afford. Uh, somebody should do a meme about this. They couldn't afford the gas to come to work. Holy so isn't that, isn't that insane? Because yeah. you know we live in Utah. There are big distances. Driving 50 miles each way to work is not a big deal. It's 70 mile an hour roads, right? Hmm. So it's like a 35, 40 minute commute. But you travel 70, you know, 60, 50, 40, 70 miles, whatever. Round trip, you're over 100 miles. And with the gas prices now, I mean, yeah. So So new challenges are being faced today than we weren't facing uh, a year ago. But what I think remains still the biggest hurdle is components, right? Components um, to put on your bikes. And, you know, it's across the board. Uh, You know, I'm not going to say it's one vendor here, one vendor there. I will say that it has gotten better and worse in some ways. Now, how has it gotten better? Well, six months ago, I just could not get components, period. I cannot get them. Right now, like when you're talking components, can you be specific? Like we're talking about drivetrain, wheels, bars, what uh, the cockpit stuff? Uh, m- mainly, mainly group sets. So okay. mainly, yep. yeah, drivetrain, shifters, brakes, di two cables, and you know, you know, and obviously the big boys are Shimano and SRAM, right? Um, and so, um, you know, and they're doing the best they can. There's no doubt about it. But they were also hit with every single challenges you know, that we, that I'm talking about now. So. Mm-hmm. So six or seven months ago, I had nothing. Like I cannot get a component, right? Um, especially, I think there was a double whammy for us because on the Shimano side, we knew Shimano was bringing that 12-speed DI2 group set out, which is that new group set that, and it ended up being obviously delayed over a year, right? right. And so the double whammy for us there is we knew it was coming. We were supposed to get it. So we started dialing back on our 11-speed order because we didn't want to have outdated products. So, so we were already going to have this short gap between when the 12-speed launches and us running out of 11-speed. Mm-hmm. And then it got delayed almost a year. So can you imagine? So we didn't have Shimano for almost a year. Um, so that was six or seven months ago. Um, today, 
I am sitting, you're going to laugh at this. Today, I am sitting on the highest dollar value of inventory I've ever sat on at this company. Millions and millions of dollars, right? So you're going to say, Dia, what are you talking about? So you're, you're great. You're doing well. Well, the challenge is different. Now, it's one tiny part oh, man. Okay. of the group set. You know, it could be just a right shifter, a left caliper, um, a DI2 cable, a chain, and you know, so I, and so now you're faced with a completely different problem, right? Where you can just take what you can get and then you're just going to have to hold on to the inventory until you can do a complete bike out of it, right? Or you can choose not to accept the inventory until the, say that one piece is available. But when that one piece is available, you have no guarantee that the stuff that was available is still available. So it's like get what you can get kind of situation? And sit on it. Exactly. Exactly. And so I I mean, like I have never had so much cash tied into inventory. And it's, it's very, very scary. Um, but that's how you have to do it in this day and age. So it's a different problem, right? So that's on the product side. On the consumer side, I would say I would say things the consumer mentality has shifted. Okay, tell me. Consumers, yeah, consumers are over COVID. We are. We're all over COVID. Uh, even though, you know, like we're just like it's here to stay. Let's move on. You know, events came back on. Concerts are back on. Football games are back on. Uh, you don't wear masks on on planes anymore. It's back to life as usual. So visually, a consumer now says, hey, my life is kind of back to normal besides this crazy inflation. But besides that, like life is back to normal. I'm going to my bar. I'm partying. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm doing my group rides, everything. Why can't you get me my bike, right? And so because we are, you know, 12 months behind, right? Like that for the same reason we were able to get you a bike for the first three, four months of the pandemic because, you know, our supply chain has a longer lead time, right? Um, and, and by the way, the, the cycling industry is not the only industry that's facing this. Perfect example is the car industry, right? Mm -hmm. yep. The car industry. So we went and bought a truck recently to add to our fleet. It's a, uh, what is it? It's like a Chevy Silverado or something like that. But anyways, I, first of all, to find it was impossible. Second of all, you're paying like a premium over MSRP right now, which is it's insane. Wild. Yeah. <laughs> right? Wild. And then, you know, they made me sign a whole bunch of paperwork and then they gave me this piece of paper and they're like, hey, there are several chips in this car that are missing. It's nothing that is dangerous, but the chip that operates your heat, uh, your seat heaters, your chip that operates. Yeah. So all this non-essential stuff, they don't have the chips for it. So they said the chips will be here within a year. In a year, you can come back with this piece of paper. We'll install the ship, the chips, and your seat warmers will work, and so and so will work, and so and so will work. How interesting wow. is that? Yeah. So, but the problem is, as a consumer, you know, your day to day life is sort of back to normal. You're back in the office, you know, in a lot of places and whatnot. So it's hard to comprehend that we are still affected by this problem, right? So that's that's one part of the problem that we're facing today. The other side of the problem that we're, you know, another area that we're facing problems in is e-commerce sites kind of misleading consumers. And okay. what I mean by that is a lot of sites are claiming to have a part or whatnot, 
but in reality, and they'll and they'll email market to you, and you'll get social media ads served up. But in reality, when you go purchase that part, assume it's a rear derailleur. You go, you try to get the rear derailleur, you select your cage size, you do everything, you put in your info, you put your credit card, and then at the end, it says, ships in 12 weeks, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, and so, yeah, but, that. <laughs> and, yeah, exactly. And so they're unfortunately giving the misconception that you know you can get parts anywhere. And most people, and this is specifically to you know people that have been waiting for bikes for a long time and have you know surprised long lead times because they'll say, "Why do you have such a long lead time? Look at this website. I could order this right now." Now, obviously, this person hasn't gone through the seven stages and pages and put their billing info to realize, "Hey, this is actually doesn't exist yet, or doesn't they don't have it?" We do because we do our due diligence. So, I would say those are some of the challenges on the consumer side that we're facing. Right the the shift in this consumer psychology and and the e-commerce sites kind of, you know, and I understand why they do it. I mean, they're also trying to make revenue. We're all, you know, we're all trying. And I guess the, you know, we've all been so spoiled by e-commerce in the last, I don't know, five or seven years where everything is instantaneous, like the Amazon world is, you know, you buy it, it's at your door tomorrow. And that's, that has been the expectation for so long before, before COVID. And that's just not, that just isn't reality for some of these more complicated, uh, you know, consumer goods. You're absolutely right. I mean, I feel like we're back in like the nineties or something like that. And, and I am intimately obviously familiar with the challenges yet. I also still get frustrated, which is yeah. hilarious. Right. And so, and I should be the most understanding, you know, person because I face with, you know, I deal with it on an hourly basis here at, at work. So, so it's interesting. So I don't blame the consumer either. Right. We have been programmed that these things just happen. And, you know, when they don't, it's, it's shocking. Right. So, so, so what does that mean? Where are we going? Um, I will say where I'm going as a smaller, you know, bike brand versus like say a specialized or a Trek mm-hmm. is, is a little different than when they're, where they're going. But from my, my seat, I see, um, inventory, getting better and better. I see that the supply chain will get better and better. And I suspect um, in 20, I don't know, let's call it Q3 of this year, that that there will be an oversupply of components. And oh, so parts. it's Q3, which is, I mean, look, we're yeah. end of Q2 right now. So that's not very yeah. far away. Yeah, I'd say end of Q3, beginning of Q4. And that's going to be done through different mechanisms. One way it's going to get done is that all the bike brands, maybe I shouldn't say all, that's an absolute, but a lot of the bike brands have overordered components, right? I know we have, we, we all have, we all have huge POs Mm -hmm. because you're, you know, we didn't know what the future holds. We don't know what's going to happen. So we're trying to get as many parts as we can. So I suspect a lot of people, especially as we get out of the COVID world. And I suspect there's going to be a slight dip in, in the industry, right? So those people that came in just for COVID while the gyms are closed and all this stuff, you mean some will be sticky. Man, right? Yeah, a dip in demand. And, and you know, I'm sure some of these consumers will be sticky and I'm sure some will not. So I, I suspect there will be a little bit of a slowdown mm-hmm. and all these giant POs that are going to start getting cut back will create a, um, an oversupply. And then there's a bit more a, a bit more morbid reason, and that is there are dozens of companies 
on the smaller size by companies that have gone bankrupt, right? During, uh, during COVID. And it's a really, really sad thing. Um, you know, again, going back to the big boys specialized in Trek, they, they can survive a bad year, right? Um, Ventum cannot su- su- survive a bad quarter. Like that's, you know, and wh- when I say bad, I mean like horrendous, right? Um, and so, uh, you know, we were luckier than most and we were able to survive and do well. And actually we grew, we grew um, substantially last year and we're, we're we are, um, yeah, on target to grow again this year. So we're doing okay. But a lot of people didn't have that, right? A lot of people didn't have that luxury. And so those folks have either been absorbed or they've simply bankrupted. But all these, and I, I mean, I, I'm talking like 30, 40 brands that I know hmm. um, that, that that's happened to them. So they all had POs for parts and wheels and components and group sets. So those all disappear. So that's kind of what I see consolidation in the business. Um, and I see uh, a tiny bit of softening in the demand and I see overproduction, right? Because driven by um, just really big POs that yeah, didn't really reflect sales. Okay. I got a couple of follow-ups. So um, on the supply side, uh, so you talked a lot about components. What about frames? Like, obviously that's a little bit, you know, you're not making them in house. So you, you still are tied to a lot of the supply chain issues, but you have probably more control over your frames than you do over a drive tree. That is correct. That is correct. Right. And so, uh, we have a lot more control and we use several factories and, and so we're able to plan that a lot better. Right. Um, and, and you have to remember, like we've had these relationships, you know, for, almost a decade, right? We're almost eight years old now. So we're able to navigate that well. Um, What's happened though, is our costs have gone through the roof, through the roof. Uh, Our container costs have jumped up like seven X, right? Oh yeah. 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 Our lead times have gone, but we were able to plan on, you know, not obviously the container costs, but lead times, obviously for everybody, have also increased exponentially. So what's happened is, you know, because it's our production, we can control it. We were able to manage it the best we could. But then what, like a good example on, on how increases cost is, you have a run of frames that's ready. You might end up air shipping 300 of them, all right? Because you can't afford to put them on a boat and wait 40 days and go to long beach and wait another 60 days, <laughs> you know, at its height. <laughs> yeah. At the height, it was insane. So, yeah. you know, then all of a sudden you're paying $300 a frame to airship oh, as opposed okay. to back in the day, maybe I shouldn't be sharing these numbers, but back in the day, it was like a rounding error per frame in a container. I was like, I don't know, like seven bucks. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. That, that $7, $10. Holy yeah. Yeah. I would try to think maybe $20. Like it was not, it was nothing that we were worried about, but now, so stuff like that has been happening a lot, but you know, at some point, you know, you got to do what you got to do. Like we're taking margin hits. We've, a lot of our vendors have um, increased prices right on us. Uh, And in turn, we're probably going to have to increase prices at some point or another, but you know, at some point, like you got to protect the brand. And what does that mean? You'll do whatever it takes. Right. So, you know, I can sit here and give you all these excuses, legitimate ones as to why, you know, your lead time is this long or why we can't provide you this spec or that. But at the end of the day, like you have to put yourself in the consumer's kind of mind. And, you know, it's just, 
no matter what's happening, there's a certain point where it's just unacceptable, right? Where like, right, you know, people were people were kind of preconditioned to wait like months and months and months for exotic cars. That's always been the case. Okay. But like to ask for someone to wait like 11 months for a certain spec of a certain bike and a certain color and a certain size, you know, again, I can explain to you why, right? Like the components don't exist yet, you know, but it's still not acceptable, right? So on from a consumer's mind. So we'll do whatever we can on our side, like take a $300 plus hit on air shipping, right? A frame to cut down on, call it 45 to 60 days, you know, uh, which is two months. So, so those are the things that we're trying to do because, you know, at some point, um, consumers will lose faith in, you know, in a brand if, uh, yeah, if that, that goes on for too long. So for sure. I mean, you can be, you know, uh, all, all of your reasons are very valid and you can, you know, you can be understanding as a consumer, but, uh, you know, at the end of the day, there are, 20 other options out there that that provide a product that you know maybe not exactly what you want but maybe you know if you get it if you can get that other product by some miracle tomorrow then you gotta you kind of have to evaluate what's what's you know what's the what's the highest value to you at this where you sit today right exactly and and honestly today like if you're pretty flexible right like if you're like oh i could do mv wheels i could do zip wheels i could do force ceram force or i could do altegra di2 like Oh, I could do the blue or I could do the black. Like if you have some flexibility, we can send out a bike in two days. No, oh, wow. literally. Yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. But if you want, and I don't want to pick on anyone, but like if you want a certain spec that is just not being produced right now and it won't be available to the end of the year, that's all I can do. You know what I mean? Sure. I mean, I'll tell you this. We used to, and I'm sure we're not the only brand, but we have been buying a lot of things at retail wherever we can find them. Right to complete a build, which is another margin hit because you know we get we obviously don't pay retail normally for components. Yeah, and so I mean I went as far as I think six months ago. I went to bike shops in Utah, and I'm I'm not I'm, my my hair is pretty recognizable, <laughs> and so you know just in Utah, like I'm sure if I yeah. went somewhere else, nobody would know. But I was like wearing a hoodie, and I would go in and like buy every single chain they had, right at like full retail. Because I knew like, hey, those four chains, that's four more bikes I could get out the door because yeah, we had a huge yeah. chain problem actually at the time. So it's nuts. But again, I see the light at the end of the tunnel. Like, let's not make this all doom and gloom. And it is it is coming back. It is coming back and I can see it. There's there's no doubt about it. And we've got some fun, uh, fun things planned. We haven't stopped innovating. Uh, I don't know if you noticed, but... Um, during COVID, we brought out our new Ventum One, the triathlon bike. Yeah, I've worked on that bike actually. I had uh, I, so uh, Andrew and I have been doing some aero aero testing, aero optimization stuff, right? And we had uh, we actually had, Co- had Cody uh, join us for for a session when he just got that bike. It was brand new. It was last summer, and so I had yeah. I had the pleasure of actually you know wrenching that bike a little bit and 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 uh, optimizing his position for a bit. So yeah, I've uh, I've had first hands uh, with the new Ventum One. That's awesome. Yeah, you know, it's it's been doing really well in terms of like performance-wise. I mean, mm. I think we've had the best re- try results in the last six weeks than we've had in like six years. I mean, yeah. I think we went one, two, three, four at, at Ironman Texas, one and two on the women's side, three and four on the men's side, fourth being Cody, actually, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, we we won every, we, we won Oceanside 70.3. We yeah, won 70.3 national champs. Yeah, like um, it's been pretty incredible. Um, um 
I know this because I'm paying the bonus checks. So I, <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's, I'm the like, what? Pay, that's the kind of payment you want to make, right? Like that's, that yeah, means, I know. Right. That is, that is definitely going right. I want to make. Yeah. And I'm like, guys, why is this like five times more than usual this quarter? It's like, well, <laughs> um, and same thing on the road, same thing on the gravel, like it's been great, but that, that new Ventum one on the tri side specifically, I'm especially proud of it for a couple of reasons. One is, you know, it's definitely more refined than the original one. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we, we, we've improved the aerodynamics, especially on the front end and the fork, yep. which makes us pretty happy. Um, that wide I, fork goes a long way. I was, uh, I was, I was having a close look at it. Oh, that is, by the way, I think, don't quote me on this, but I think it's seven, like any, like it's 7% more arrow than the old fork, which was pretty arrow. Our front end, I think is 12% more arrow. Um, so it, it's amazing. I love it. Um, and I'm also especially proud because we brought it out in like the <laughs> toughest market ever, right? Like it is so difficult and you can only imagine like how are you doing a product launch when you can't get any products. Um, and by the way, just like <laughs> oh, the cars, too. yeah, just like the cars when I was just mentioning where like, you know, I just bought a car with no chips in it. You know, we, we had to do that with the Ventum one. Like there were some non-essential parts, like there was a cover, this might get a little specific, but there's a cover that goes between the bottle and the stem. It's just, it's a plastic cover. Like we, that thing was a nightmare, like delayed in production, not because it's complicated. It's not, it's just delays at the factories forever because they didn't have any raw material. And then uh, finally was able to make it. And then it got stuck in Long Beach. I don't know if you remember, like at some point I they had like, do, yeah, well, Long Beach was, it was, was gummed yeah. up like crazy. Yeah. It was crazy. So they usually have one or two ships a day. They had 88 ships. <laughs> so we were like the 88th ship. So that thing got, you know, delayed so many months. And so we were just sending out the bikes without it because it's, it's literally just a plastic cover that mm-hmm. is more aesthetics and a little arrow, but nothing crazy. So, you know, we had to do some of this stuff. Um, and, you know, I, I would say the downside of launching it when we did is we weren't able to obviously do a proper launch right there was no press camp there was no you know celebration around it group rides like none of that we could do and so uh that was kind of difficult right we had to piecemeal the the launch a little bit together uh well hey that's the world we live in you know uh and like i said i'm gonna stop saying it's hard i'm gonna say it's the new normal right so I know that you're not the only ones because I was uh, I was working recently on the the new Trek Speed concept. So Trek, one of the big companies, uh, I was working yeah. with a, another athlete that we support, um, and she just got a brand new Speed concept, and we couldn't fit her because we didn't have all the front end components, and she couldn't get them from yeah. Trek because they weren't available. And so this isn't, I'm sure I don't, you know, this is news to you, but even like even the big boys are 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 in, oh, the, yeah. in the same boat that 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 components, especially these these custom made things that are, you know, small one-off bits are, are super hard to find. You know, I, I will say this. Uh, I think it affects even the big boys more than us, right? Because again, we, we get out a hundred bikes that moves the needle for us, right? A mm-hmm. hundred bikes for them does not really move them. So, you know, it, yeah, it's no, it affects the big boys, the small guys, the middle, everybody. It's, yeah. it's been uh, incredible i'll tell you a story i won't tell you what the factory is or anything else because i think I, it's probably not correct to do so but um talking about how everybody is holding a lot of inventory but it might be missing one or two pieces to complete a bike 
Are you familiar on, because we do all our assembly here in Utah. We test assemble here in Utah. So um, most of the bigger companies, they produce in Asia, but they also assemble in Asia, right? Okay. And the way they assemble in Asia is they go to assembly factories, right? So assembly factories have the relationship with Shimano, have the relationship with SRAM, mm -hmm. and you essentially deliver your frames to this assembly factory. They will assemble it. They will pack it in your boxes, and then they get on a container, and that's how they come here, fully okay. assembled, right? Everybody you can think of, that's nobody assembles domestically except for you know, Ventum and a couple other brands, smaller brands. So, so now that I kind of explain like how this works, there is an assembly factory, a major assembly factory that has thousands of workers. Mm -hmm. And I saw a photo of their parking lot, and their parking lot is full of components boxes of boxes as high as you can see of components and they've asked their thousands of employees to park on the street <laughs> and that's because i'll tell you exactly why that's because they're sitting on i don't know hundreds of thousands of group sets but they're missing one piece, so they can't oh, build any bikes. Okay, so, okay. so just like I told you, I'm sitting on the highest level of inventory I ever have in my life. Yeah. So are the assembly factories. So much so that their enormous buildings, their warehouses can't fit them all. So they turned their parking lots into <laughs> wow. an outdoor storage area. And I swear it is one of the most impressive things I've ever seen. So, so yes, it affects the big boys and it affects the little guys too. Wow. Wow. I can't believe it. I mean, well, I guess I can believe it because it's so hard to get bikes, but I want to switch gears a little bit and I want to talk about demand. So uh, you mentioned earlier that obviously, and anyone who's in the in the industry or even just rides around in, in big cities knows there's so many more folks on bikes or there were, there was a big cycling boom, uh, especially at the beginning of COVID. And I, I, I think it's, it's sticking around. So I'm curious how many of those folks are, you know, maybe the entry level folks that, that, got that entry-level bike two years ago. How many are you seeing buying, you know, your performance uh, bikes? How many of those folks are graduating to that level? That's a really good question. Um, good question, hard to answer. And I would say hard to answer because, um, you know, we're a growth company, okay, right? And so as opposed to one of the bigger brands who sees pretty flat or small incremental gains, like single points, right, here and there, we we grow thirty to forty to fifty percent year over year. Oh wow! Holy. And God. so yeah, no, we're still you know we're we're still capturing market share. We're still so it's hard because you know is this growth that we continue to have is it due to exactly what you just mentioned? Somebody who you know is has fallen in love with the sport and wants to continue and and get better and better products, or is it just our growth? You know, and our you know awareness campaigns are getting wider and wider. People are getting you know, the word of mouth is really circulating. I mean, there's a million reasons for it. But I would say I am sure if we haven't seen it yet, we will see it soon. Because the average consumer, especially when they buy their first bike, um, they hold on to it for about three years. Mm, okay. So, I, I, you know, I'm almost interested to see what's going to happen a year or two from now, right? Mm. When those guys that bought the 800 to $1,200 bikes and now they're ready to get into a 4000 $5,000 bike, right? Which is kind of where we would be. So, uh, yeah, I think it may not has, have hit us yet, but that's kind of a guess. Um, I don't want to make it sound like I'm, I have some strong sure. data to, uh, 
to uh, yeah back that up. Well, that's kind of the hope, right? I mean, and I, I, look, I, I don't have any skin in the game from a from a bike building perspective. Like, I don't sell bikes, so my my kind of personal interest is more just more humans on bicycles. Whether or not it is a eight hundred dollar bike or a five hundred dollar bike or a you know ten thousand dollar bike, it's it's all it's all good as far as I'm concerned. But I was just curious if you if you'd seen those numbers. And, and you are exactly right. More humans on bicycle is my literally my, my personal mantra, right? <laughs> Maybe not, you know. And and I'm trying to bring that to Ventum. Now, remember, like we are a performance, high end performance brand. For sure. Performance meets luxury is, is a tagline I've seen floating around. But and I'm sure marketing is going to kill me if I say this, but we are going to release um, a, an e adventure commuter bike. Nice. It's an e, yeah. It's a it's you could call it a, an e-gravel bike. Mm-hmm. It is, um, it's going to be class three, which I know comes with its own challenges in Canada. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, speaking about more, more people on bikes, more humans on bikes, this is going to be on a Shimano platform that will allow you to top out at 28 miles an hour and go for six hours. Holy smokes. And so, yeah, so, so, the demographic here that I see being interested in this bike is twofold. One, people that want to go further, like somebody like me, which who honestly never believed in e-bikes until I realized, like, wait a minute, this this has this has legs. And what I mean by go for it further means instead of covering 30, 40, 50 miles of gravel uh, or adventure or single track or whatever, I can now cover 200 miles, mm-hmm. still get a great workout and see more, right? And go to that lake I've never been able to see because, totally. you know, it's just too far. Or, you know, my fiance and I, one of our favorite rides is Salt Lake is 50 miles away. And okay. so what we usually do, and it's a lot of climbing because we're in the valley. Uh, so what we usually do is we'll take a weekend and it'll be, I don't know, like 150 miles because we, you know, we don't do a straight shot, but it'll be like 75 miles the first day get to Salt Lake, go to our favorite sushi restaurant, and then spend the night and then 75 miles the other way. Great great way to spend the week. Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. it sounds amazing, (laughs) right? But how nice would it be when I say go further, how nice would it be to just jump on these e-adventure bikes, get an amazing workout, but do that in a day? So I'm back that evening, you know? So we go, we have lunch, and then we come back you still feel like you've got a great workout, and and uh, but you were able to you know do it quickly. So that's one demographic. The other de- demographic is commuters, right? Totally. I yeah. mean, think about this. You know, you could be living outside of DC or Chicago or Miami, and and now you've got something that can really take you, and you could be you know forty five minutes out of that city, and I would argue maybe get to work faster because you're going to beat the traffic. So that's kind of our. This is our kind of first step towards more humans on bikes, right? And so I'm totally with you, and I I love that saying. Yeah, for what it's worth, I mean, you know, we all have our opinions on this, and there's a lot of, I don't know, uh, I would call it just straight-up snobbishness around folks, you know, looking down their noses at at e-bikes, you know, mostly mostly road cyclists. I'm going to put them in that bucket. (laughs) And I think think it's the wrong way to think about it. Like, sure, if you're doing a race or if you're doing a competitive group ride, yeah, absolutely, then then there's maybe that's not the place for for your e-bike. But in... 99.9% 99.9% of other bike riding circumstances, right, where we all ride bikes, there, there's so much opportunity. And it's such a great equalizer, too. Like, for example, you know, I'd love to go riding with with uh, with my wife, and she's not yeah. that strong on the bike. And and if she had an e-bike, we could we could go for awesome, epic rides and together and, and share that experience where otherwise we couldn't. You know, you just remind me of something which is hilarious. 
Um, do you remember, and if not, please look it up, when, I'm sorry, Pinarello, but I'm going to put you on the spot, when <laughs> Pinarello came out with their e-road bike. I remember and, it came um, out, yeah. Oh, my God, where they got killed for their media campaign. And the media campaign, it was a guy on a bike and, the, and his wife, and it says, now she can come ride with you. <laughs> and oh my god please look it I up after that this campaign, but oh that, it, i mean they, they, they had to pull it oh they, yeah. ha- they had to pull the ad but 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 to your point I, and you know to your point i agree i completely it could be, it could agree be the other way around i mean like you know like, yeah actually like, yeah yeah no <laughs> I, I don't agree about the whole yeah yeah, yeah. Well, i agree about like there's a place in the time for uh, an e-bike and it's fun yeah. you know and like you said if you show up to one of our group rides with an e-bike I'm a pretty nice guy, but I'm probably going to say something because that, there's no there's no room for that, right? Um, totally. But like, hey, you want to have a great day. You want to go to the grocery store. You want to go you know, to a national park. You want to get a workout. And it, it just makes sense to me. I don't know. Um, I've really gone – I've come 180 on this. If you had asked me our first podcast three years ago, I don't th- – I think I would have said like, you know, you can't be under 70 and ride one. I something, something kind of ignorant like that. I would probably said. So, yeah, Yeah, I, I I think, I think a lot of people are coming around. They're probably going to be, you know, the, the grumpy, the grumpy folks who will, who will always be against them. But I think, I think folks are coming around and it's, it's the right way. And commuting is, I mean, if we if we want if we want sustainable commuting, as as you know, I live in a really big city, right? So Toronto is, depending how you measure it, you know, between three and four and a half million people, um, wow. and yeah, there's a lot of traffic, and there's just like any big city, and there are there's a lot more cycling infrastructure that's being put in place uh, by our city government, which is you know massive kudos to you folks, um, but for for a lot of people, you know, cycling commuting is hard right so if you make it easier if you remove those barriers for them that's that's such a win because then there's fewer cars on the road there's less you know less greenhouse gas emissions it's healthier because you know it's a uh, an, an e-bike is not a like an electric scooter you're still working so it's it's wins yep. in in every possible you know every possible category no i completely agree i completely agree and honestly i think the batteries and motors are getting more and more efficient so it's using less and less yeah energy which is good because obviously a lot of our energy sometimes comes from not the greenest ways, right? Um, yeah, exactly. I wish it was all solar and wind and, and other ways, but you know. Um, so, so yeah, no, I agree. It's here to stay. We got to do, each of us as manufacturers, we have to do our part uh, to keep this momentum going forward. Yeah, I think this is an awesome place to wrap things up. Uh, we've covered we've covered where we where we what we did the last three years, like how what some of the challenges and and what I really like is this you know this kind of uh, the the silver lining and the uh, you know the the light at the end of the tunnel, if I can mix my metaphors, which is a uh, I think an awesome place to leave it. Awesome, Michael. So good to still hear you and see you, and uh, let's not make it another three years. All right. For sure, yeah. We're we need we're gonna need another introduction soon before before three years out, deal. <laughs> deal, deal. <laughs> awesome. And folks, as always, thank you so much for uh, tuning in and spending a bit of time with us. Uh, if you like the show, give us a rating and review, and uh, also consider supporting us on Patreon. And that's uh, patreon.com/endurance innovation. Thanks, everyone. Bye.